This is episode 36 of the Kindred Mom podcast. I am your host, Emily Sue Allen. Welcome, friends. I so appreciate you tuning in today. I'm eager to share the following conversations about dealing with big feelings as a mom as part of the Becoming a Resilient Mom series that we're doing on Kindred Mom this month. Segment one features a few of us team members talking about this topic, and segment two features our wonderful guest, Adriel Booker, mama of three and author of Grace Like Scarlet, Grieving with Hope Through Miscarriage and Loss. You can find links in the show notes for this episode to everything we discussed today. There are some really exciting things that are going on behind the scenes with Kindred Mom, and I want to be sure to keep you informed about those things. So I want to ask, if you are not subscribed to our email list, would you consider joining it and inviting a few mom friends to join with you because we have some exciting announcements coming your way. We will not send you spam ever, and we send about two emails a month, so we won't be overwhelming your inbox, but we want to send you helpful and relevant resources, encouragement, and how you can be connected with our community in meaningful ways. If you're already subscribed, you might know that it's been a little quiet over there for a while, but that's about to change and you will be hearing from us very soon. Thanks so much for listening today and enjoy the following conversations. I'm really grateful to have Sarah Allard and Lynn Patty with me today and we are doing another segment on the Kinder Mom podcast about Dealing with Big Feelings, which is part of our Resilience series that we're doing for the month of March on Kindred Mom. And Sarah and Lynn, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Excited to be here. It's really nice to have you. And I'm excited about this topic largely because I think it is probably the single most applicable topic to every mom's daily life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's doing all the things that we do to care for our families and how we respond to that internally, how we feel about the day, how we navigate all of the ups and downs. And so let's just open the conversation by talking about big feelings. What does this topic bring up for you when you're thinking about um, what you go through in the course of a day? And what are the big feelings that you've had most recently? That's a great question. You know, as you ask that question, what first comes to mind is the Enneagram and definitely being a type one kind of perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about how you can lean towards anger. And I really mm-hmm. have seen that play out, you know, from my own childhood and into adulthood and being really aware of what triggers bring me to a place of anger mm-hmm. and my parenting, how that plays out. I do a lot of deep breathing throughout the day. Yeah. <laughs> I can always tell when I'm getting frustrated. It's just a lot of that pausing, praying before speaking. Um, mm-hmm. And when I'm getting frustrated, you know, one of my other funny things is I'll catch myself going, child. <laughs> oh, yes. And then I realize when I'm not even saying my own kids' names, there's something yeah. about just yes. the sadness, frustration. I'm like, I can't even call you by name. You are just child. <laughs> I do that with my boys. I'll say, son, you blah, 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 son. And you are so right, Sarah. It's usually when I'm angry. Yes. And I've realized it just recently that if I put his name in there, well, his, it could be my daughter too, but that it, there's this thing that humanizes the emotion and just kind of deescalates my feelings to be like, okay, I do love you. You are my beloved child. You are still driving me crazy. Yes. <laughs> Helps me rein it in a bit just to get to 
do a heart check. For sure. Yeah. Big feelings for me have been happening in our house a lot lately. So I might have a different slant on it today just because I am four weeks postpartum with my fifth baby. So big feelings are very real around here lately. Yeah. And I mean, there's big feelings from mama, but there's also big feelings from all the kids. They've all started to understand the transition is happening like this past week. And so we've been dealing with a lot of big feelings from everybody over here. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, you know, that's actually been really kind of centering and grounding for me through these four weeks is the difference between feelings and facts and how feelings can sometimes be a indicator that something needs to change or happen. But that for me, postpartum, I have to just hold on to the facts sometimes because my feelings are unreliable. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're dealing with the postpartum hormones and stuff like that, sometimes feelings can be deceiving. Yeah. But I think in a normal context, you know, three months postpartum and onward, I think feelings can be great indicators for what stuff that's going on that needs addressing. Yeah, I grew up and um, one of my parents really had, I guess, a vendetta against feelings. Um, (laughs) And it was my dad. I'll just say that. (laughs) I wasn't going to throw him under the bus, but (laughs) it's my dad. And he would always just say to me, you know, you can't make decisions out of your feelings. You can't trust your feelings. And I agree with him to a point, but I also, as I became an adult and as I started navigating more complicated, layered emotional things, I realized that I can't just discredit feelings entirely, that they do have a role. And I see them primarily as indicators or as flags that draw my attention to something, not necessarily as a basis for which to evaluate what is true or not true, but as something that is kind of just pointing a big arrow to something that needs attention here. And for me as a mom, that's largely been like anger, like you've talked about, Sarah, is if I'm angry, there's actually something underneath the anger that needs to be addressed. And yeah. I have to pause and take a minute to figure out what that is. Sometimes it's my kids and they have a need that needs to be addressed. And sometimes it's me and I'm just really needing to have a check in with myself so that I can change course for how it is mm-hmm. that I'm acting that day. Well, I totally resonate with what you're saying. And as you were talking, I was thinking that for me, you know, sometimes there is something underneath the anger, like a bigger issue. And other times it's honestly just that I'm tired. Um, I've been dealing with a lot more sleep deprivation recently with my second baby and that has been a challenge. And when I can just realize, oh gosh, I'm getting to this place. What is going on? And realize I am really tired. It just gives myself that grace to say, okay, you're not in the best place to pull back, to figure out how I can Mm -hmm. be kind to myself, how I can be kind to my children and to realize that sometimes there is a big fear or something under the surface. And sometimes there really isn't. It's just that Mm -hmm. we are hormonal and emotional and tired and there needs to be grace for that and some self-care. In that case, I think that sleep is the underlying issue. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And that's why to me, it really does make sense that feelings are indicators. And it doesn't always mean this huge, you know, deep under the surface iceberg that needs to be meticulously dealt with. But there is usually an issue like you need to get more sleep. And if you have to take things off your plate and 
erase things from your calendar because you need to protect your time at home and be able to take a nap when your kids are napping or whatever that might be to simplify that it is the thing that tells you something needs to be paid attention to here. And so, um, and you mentioned some things are a deeper fear and I would love to talk about worry and fear because I think as moms, we encounter this from the first time we even, you know, realize that we're pregnant (laughs) is all the Uh worries of what if this happens, what if that happens. And I just want to talk about how dangerous your imagination becomes when you become a mom. (laughs) Well, I think it's really challenging with social media these days that, you know, we're so aware of different scenarios and things that could happen. And you're always hearing about a story. And that's something I have really had to be aware of just whether it's being off social media or stopping following certain things, Mm -hmm. because those rabbit trails of specific scenarios can then get in your head. And so for me, I try, if there is a worry or fear to one question, is it rational? Two, is there anything I could do? Like maybe that's a gut check. Like you're talking about the feelings piece. Yeah. Should I do Mm -hmm. something like, okay, my child is pulling themselves up. Maybe I should lower the crib or okay, they keep getting to that outlet cover. Maybe I should switch that out. Like there are some fears that I, where I could take action, but then if I take that too far and freak out or analyze about every little thing, I can get to a bad place. So I try to kind of take that fear captive, say, what could I practically do? And if there's nothing I can do, then try to let that fear go, Mm -hmm. pray about it and move on. I love that idea of taking the thought captive because I know two weeks ago, I guess, when when our little baby was just two weeks old, my oldest came to me with tears in her eyes and she said, mommy, I have bad thoughts about Jack getting hurt. And this had happened with our fourth baby as well, where she just got so worried. And I was like, oh, honey, I know exactly what you're talking about where you imagine these scenarios and stuff. And I talked to her about taking those thoughts captive for us. We, you know, we take them to God and we pray and we say, Jesus, take these thoughts. You can handle them. And we can't, you know, he's just able to handle those big things, but um, it's very, very real. And I think Sarah, what you were saying about, literally sheltering our minds as moms um, from some of the stuff out there, especially when you are within a year of having a baby. I mean, just a lot of times I will have my husband go ahead and let me know what's going on in the news because I certainly cannot handle that. It's a really vulnerable time of life to be trying to take in all of the heavy stuff of the world and not that we should be uninformed because I absolutely think we need to be informed and we need to know when there is a recall on a baby product and we need to know that kind of stuff, but just being very strategic and discerning about the incoming messages that we take in. This is for me why I am very picky about what I will watch. Even the things that are more action thrillers, um, I find I I always have my husband watch it first and I'm like, do you think I can handle it? And, and you know, I think that maybe before having kids, there were some things that we could watch that now as moms either affect us differently or yeah. talk yes. about the sleep piece. I know when I am pregnant, 
or like if there are t- night wake-ups happening in my home with little ones, I have to be extra cautious because when I'm trying to go back to sleep at night, that's when those thoughts, it's just so much Definitely. kind of vivid. Yeah. So I yes. guess being aware in each season of kind of that heart check, is this, perm- this is permissible, but is it beneficial? I definitely want to talk though about worry and fear being sort of like attraction point for us to make changes. Just like we're saying, feelings are indicators that mm-hmm. can help. And, you know, I think so many times when I process through a certain child's behavior, and usually it's with my husband on date night, the worries and fears when I verbalize them and I get them out of my head really, really helps me to have perspective. And all of a sudden sharing it with the father of that same child completely puts me at ease. And he often will have great ideas. And, you know, obviously the person that you pick to share your fears and worries with needs to be a safe person. I was going to say about fear that for me, I have experienced a lot of different fear in my life. And I find that for me, fear is one of those things where if I feel fear, I pause and I try to think about what am I actually afraid of? Because sometimes there are layers to that too. And I also think about, can I acknowledge my fear without allowing that fear to have power over me and be the decision maker? Like if my fear is the decision maker, then I'm not in a healthy spot. And that is a barometer for me to discern whether, okay, is this fear? Because it's nice to know is this fear rational or not rational, but I'm often not ready to make that kind of judgment call about whether it's rational or not. So seeing if something has power over me, then I start to untangle why it has power. And instead of giving it power, I just give it, you know, something that I can pay attention to, but not Mm -hmm. make all my decisions out of that fear, if that makes sense. Oh, so wise. And as you're talking, I'm realizing, you know, a lot of what we're talking about with fear is these big things like that our child could be injured, but it could come down to simple things such as, I don't know about this sleep pattern because they're not going to sleep and then they're not going to sleep forever. And then I'm never going to get sleep again. (laughs) It's like, it just goes from something really simple, like, oh my gosh, but if I give them all purees, they're never going to eat real food. So I think the fears can be big things, but they can be really day-to-day things. Whereas moms, we have to pause and Emily, you always said to me with my first son that you're not going to ruin him, Sarah. And that was really <laughs> freeing to realize like if I try something and it doesn't work, I can try something new and it's going to be okay. Yeah. That really freed me up. Well, that's good. And I just see motherhood as one big problem solving adventure. Like many things in motherhood are things that have a simple solution and it's just up to us to figure out what that solution is. Notice I didn't say easy mm-hmm. because there are a lot of things yeah. that take a lot of effort and trying something new and adjusting. And when you're in a new developmental milestone, then it changes. But that process of saying, okay, this is the problem. How can I address it? Or what can I try? Or who can I talk to? And gathering perspective from people in a proactive way, I think really can help to alleviate fears, which is one reason why I think it's so important that we have community. We have women that Mm -hmm. we can talk to that maybe are a step or two ahead of us so we can ask questions. (laughs) And I know as a new mom, it's sometimes really hard to receive advice from every direction and know what do I do with all this advice. 
But I think a way around that is to just let people say what they want to say. But then when you want to know something or when you're concerned about something, you identify who do I have around me that I see as a wise person or who I would want to emulate how they parent their child and go and ask them. And if you go and you take most of your direction from people who you have asked that of them, it's easier to just let the rest kind of blow right by. That's a great uh, piece of advice, actually, because I remember with my first child, there were so many pieces of advice coming from so many directions. And I remember saying, I am just going to listen to this one person. She happened to be the lactation consultant that was helping me. But I just knew that I needed to filter everything out except for her voice because she was helping me. That's a great piece of advice. Take it all in. But when it comes down to it, just hone in on that one person. That's Mm -hmm. great. And at the same time, you know, take it all in. But if there is somebody that is giving you unsolicited advice, or you just realize, gosh, like in your mom world, that is just really kind of toxic as far as um, maybe being hard on you as a mom or whatever it may be, just being kind to yourself too, to realize, especially in that postpartum time to be really careful about that and what voices you listen to. And it's okay just to tune them out or to seclude yourself a little bit and only really let a few voices in. I wanted to talk to you about loneliness as a big feeling. I don't think we've kind of gone there yet. And I know, uh, in this, in the season, this past nine months of being pregnant with my fifth, I have definitely dealt with this. And, you know, who are my friends who are going to stick with this circus that I've got going on over here? You know, Um, who understands what I'm going through, this kind of thing. And also, you know, having quote unquote older children, like my oldest is 10 and then having a newborn, it's like, Mm. I don't really fit in, you know, in a lot of places. So I wanted to talk about that. What do you guys feel about that? Yeah. Loneliness is the very reason why there is kindred mom in my world, because I went through a long season of just being really disconnected from other people, precisely because of what you're describing. As my family was growing, we became less and less connected to other people who were like us. And um, there are other big families that we know and in the years since that season, we've definitely established these strong bonds and friendships. And I have found the women that I can go to, to talk to about the particular challenges we have with our large family. But I went through probably four years or so of time that just felt completely soul crushing because Mm. I just didn't feel like many people could relate to where I was at and didn't understand the challenges that I was going through. And I think loneliness is one of those things where it seems like, well, you should be able to just fix that. Go meet a friend, right? No, it's not really like that when you have more than one child, especially like I'm not saying it's easy to get out of the house with one because sometimes that is a really big challenge too. But when you have two or three or four or more, the number of things that you are juggling together with nap schedules and everyone needs to eat and going to a place that's appropriate for all of those people in one space and that kind of stuff, it can be super challenging to build community. And um, I just want Sarah to talk about this because she's an exquisite community builder. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, I know you have some really good thoughts and ideas for women who might be in that place of just feeling disconnected and like they don't really know how to begin that process if they're either in a new area or maybe they're the first of their friends to have a new baby or what are your ideas about getting connected and really tending 
relationships that serve moms well in those early years. Well, this is such a passion of mine and it started as a passion of mine when I was going through infertility, really. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thankful for that season that I was really able to watch a lot of my friends become mothers and watch their highs and lows. And first, I just want to say, you know, what I love, love having mom friends and I'm blessed to have a lot of mom friends. I also love my single friends. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that a lot of moms get in this mom bubble and it's like, you know, to hang out with somebody and not talk about how many times my kid pooped or what they're eating. Or, you know, to be like, oh, you went shopping or I don't know. I mean, it doesn't need to be frivolous. It could be also deep. Like, how are you doing outside of just being a mom? Like, yeah. how is your marriage? You know, and um, I, this has been made even clearer to me. I recently had one of my dear single friends move back to the area and she's like, let's grab dinner. And, you know, it's like, well, on one hand, I can't do all of that all the time. It is nice to be like, wow, I could once a month, go out to dinner with my girlfriends. I could still mm-hmm. be back in time for bedtime or whatever, but mm-hmm. just to have that time, I would just encourage moms to think about what single friends or even maybe married without kid friends you have, because they can be such a blessing to us as moms yeah. and we can mm-hmm. be a blessing to them because they're longing to just sit around the dinner table and have it be crazy and yeah. have a mm-hmm. home cooked meal, you know? And, yeah. but then on the flip side, I think for me, um, like you're talking about Emily, there is all that coordinating. It's finding those tried and true friends. Like I joke with my friends, like let's shoot to meet at 10, but we both know that one of us will probably be running late and there's grace for that. And we're there to receive the other friend and hang out whatever form that comes. And, you know, being as respectful as possible of each other's time, but also just knowing like we're meeting, we're doing this thing. Like today I was walking around the lake with my girlfriend and like at one point, one of our four kids was squawking the entire time (laughs) and we just like tend to them and then go back to the conversation and tend to them. And there's just little, this little dance of this is what it takes in the season. And I know that we'll look back and laugh on how crazy it was, but that we still made the point to get out of the house and get together. So I would just encourage moms that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in your same stretch pants from the night before that you slept in or you don't have makeup <laughs> on or you stop at Starbucks because you didn't even have time to make coffee, just get her done. Yeah. Well, and one thing that's helped me is over the years, I realized that I do really well on a weekly rhythm. And during the summer, we do park days every week on the same day at the same time at the same place. And I just put the word out there to anybody who wants to come. And for us, it's the zoo on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock at a certain entrance. And last summer, every Tuesday, the entire summer, I had two or three or four women show up with their kids to come and walk through the zoo with us. And we'd have lunch together afterwards. And it was just so wonderful to, first of all, connect those people to each other because I think some new friendships were started there. But also for me, I felt like I could predict the time. I knew what we would need there. I knew that it would be an appropriate space for all six of my kids to be and um, taking the initiative to put that offer out there. It didn't really require me to have my house clean or have people over, which was really nice. And because that's become more and more stressful as our family's gotten bigger, because I feel like we're already bursting out of our house. So when we add more kids to inside the walls of our home, that's just really stressful for me, even though I used to really enjoy that. That's such a great point about what you're already doing, inviting people along. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you're, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just saying, I'm going to do this anyways. And I do try to do that. And that just triggered, you know, if I'm going to take my kids to gymnastics, just texting three friends say, Hey, we're going tomorrow, or even we're going to go in a couple hours. It doesn't need to be 
of really planned out because it's amazing who will yeah. join. Yeah. Yeah. Some people are really longing to just be invited into that. And I, I was going to say that about moms who have one or two joining a mom's group or, or just somehow having that group for me was so key. And uh, to the point where I just started my own mom's group. And it's kind of funny how it was because I was going to a lactation support group and paying to go to the group yeah. every week. And I realized like my child was six or seven weeks old and she was nursing then fine. Yeah. And I was still paying to go to this group. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I should just have this at my house. Like, yes. this is, And I am still in touch with several of those three or four of those women today. Sense of community when you have your first, second, even your third kid, it, it is so important. And I know Emily and I were talking before the podcast about processing birth yeah. and delivery. Um, Emily, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I just have noticed after having been through six births myself and through many, many friends having given birth um, in that time span that I think it's really important for women to talk about their birth experiences, whether it's just with a friend or many friends. In my case, I love telling my birth stories even now. And I think that regardless of if your birth has been a traumatic one or a positive one or a home one or a cesarean one or whatever the details of it might be, that being able to talk about it, I think, really helps in the healing process. Um, I have found my births to be positive and traumatic at the same time. They've been very, very fast births. And so I, I feel like they're so out of control and so unpredictable and being able to talk about it, I feel like has helped help me shape my own response to what it is that I experienced. And I think that that's something that for months after a birth, years sometimes for some people, yes. just helps them to give voice to some of these deeper things that we have felt during that process, which really does change us in very real Absolutely. physical and emotional ways. And so I always find it probably the most honoring thing when a friend will call me the first week after their birth and tell me all the stuff, tell me what happened and tell me how you felt. And, you know, yes. like even down to the every detail, I want to know those things because I, first of all, it fascinates me to see how many different ways birth can happen. But also mm -hmm. I just know that it's really important to support my friends in that way and give them mm -hmm. a space that is safe where it really is appreciated that they would share those details with me. Cause some of it's really vulnerable mm -hmm. and especially when it's been a harder birth. I just think that that's a super important thing for moms to do. Lynn, I love that you asked this question because I've watched Emily so gracefully come around so many of our friends in the postpartum period. And I do think that there's something just so tender. And I would just encourage moms, if you're seeking to do that, to one, just you know, let your friend know that you're available. And two, something I've learned from Emily that is hard for me because I like to give advice. And I've learned over <laughs> my years of motherhood, short years of motherhood, to not give unsolicited advice, but in that time, just to be a listening ear to see what yeah. they want to share yeah, and right. also what they're struggling with instead of offering any solutions like, okay, you're struggling with this piece of sleep or this piece of nursing and give one little tidbit because it's such an overwhelming yeah. period yes. that they can only take so much in. And so just to be a good friend in that season, I think you just need to do a lot of listening and offer just little nuggets and yeah. that's it. And then wait for them to come back and then you receive them and love them and let them go again. And just the other thing is just speaking 
encouragement. Like you are doing a great job because we all need to hear that always, but especially yes, when we're we so do. tired and in pain. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say about that too, Sarah, this is something I'm really passionate about too, especially for brand new moms that I think new moms need to have an opportunity to develop their own intuition and grow in their confidence in their ability to care for their own child. And so as much as I would love to swoop in and be like, let me tell you everything you need to know about all these things. I would love to do that. But I think it's really important that we honor and respect that space where a woman is kind of growing into her new role that's brand new to her. And she's wide eyed and open to all the things coming. Um, She's taking her baby's cues and trying to figure out what they mean. And I just think helping a new mom discover her own intuition. My policy is I will not suggest or offer things without her invitation, whether she has come to me and specifically said, I would really like to know how to get my baby to sleep. (laughs) I have lots of things to say about that. And I'd be glad to answer her questions if she asks me or if, if she's come to me and said, I'm really struggling or if I can see that she's really struggling, I will ask questions until I feel like there's an appropriate space to offer. Would you like me to share some ideas with you and give her an opportunity to say yes or no? And I've had people say, no, I think I'll just figure this out for myself. And I'm always like, okay, well, that's great. I think that it's wonderful when someone is in the driver's seat of their own parenting journey, especially at the beginning. And I think that only serves them well as they go into the next years. So thanks for bringing that up, Sarah. Definitely. Lynn, I'm curious with you with your five births, is there anything that stands out for you where somebody's come around you and it's been really appreciated and received well? Well, what's funny is that being on this podcast recording right now, like Emily is kind of my person. So so she's the one, like she, she really does want to hear about the birth stories the week after. And she really does like let it all sink in. And I remember once when my fourth baby was maybe seven or eight months old, I called her to ask her about a rash that the baby had in the neck, in her neck. Like she would get the neck cheese, like so built up. (laughs) And Emily, you all don't know this, but Emily has really chubby babies. So I'm like, I have to ask Emily about the neck cheese, you know, like, how do you deal with this? And, and so, yeah, so I called her and I'm like, what do I do about the neck cheese? And she's like, oh, well, this is what you have to do. Da, 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 da. And it was, by the way, it was turtlenecks and Lotrimin and uh, diaper cream. And it was perfect. It totally helped. Yeah, Emily is kind of my person. And I, I do have a couple other friends who who also come around me. I think this has all been super good. And there are so many more big feelings that I would love to talk about, but we're running out of time. So I just want to give you guys one more minute to say anything you'd want to say to new moms, older moms um, about big feelings and how to deal with them in a healthy way. I just want to encourage the moms that you are doing a great job. And I know we said that earlier, but just to be reminded that you are, because I know that there are so many fears. And even as we're talking, maybe some triggers. And I would just encourage the moms listening, if you don't have your own mom tribe to really look at who is there. Uh, I know one bar for me has been when I come from spending time with my girlfriends, my husband can tell the friends that are really life-giving to me. I just kind of have that glow and feel that support. And so if you're not sure you're evaluating, that would be maybe a good way to do that. And um, just remember, it doesn't need to be a big number. It could just be a couple 
trusted friends and don't forget about those single friends because they can really be such a gift. Yeah. I would like to say to the moms out there that the big feelings are really normal and that, you know, for example, tonight when I blew up at my five-year-old because it's bedtime and we do bedtime every single night and yet (laughs) it's still a surprise, you know, I had some big feelings and it's just very normal, very part of mothering. There needs to be so much grace for yourself. Mostly. I know I beat myself up a lot and, um, yeah, have grace because Mm. man, it just, it's going to go by and it's going to be gone. The last thing I wanted to say is that I have been thinking about this episode and in preparation, I just had this thought keep coming to me about the problem with the just keep swimming philosophy that as we reference story, Mm. just keep swimming, that really there are some issues that come up that require that we actually stop and deal with things before we move on. And Mm -hmm. I'm all for just keep swimming when we're not talking about those things. But I think it takes a lot of strength and courage to face things that are hard, to face our fears, to deal with loneliness, to deal with shame and mom guilt and some of the things that we didn't get to in this conversation. And it requires a lot of courage to confront the things that we believe that may or may not be true about ourselves or about others. So I want to encourage moms that you are resilient even if you don't feel like you're resilient, that you are able to navigate the complexities of motherhood and your own feelings. You don't have to just keep swimming and pretend like it's not a bigger issue than it is and that it's okay to just pause. And it can be a pause that's momentary and just a moment of quiet, or it can be a pause like a really honest check-in with your husband where you need you know, a few hours out of the house or whatever it might be. But those are the things I wanted to say. And I so appreciate you ladies being on today. Thank you so much, Em. It was good to talk with you too, Sarah. Oh, it's been such an honor. And I also still have the words of Emily I want to end on. You're not going to ruin them. Just yeah. remember that. You're not going to ruin them. <laughs> I love it. I'm really excited to be introducing Adriel Booker today. Jenny Van Winkle and I are going to be interviewing her, and we are in the middle of a series on resilience on Kindred Mom. And so today we're going to be talking about big feelings. Welcome, Adriel. How are you doing? Hi, ladies. It's great to be here with you. So glad to have you. I'm just looking forward to this conversation because I know you are a wealth of wisdom, Adriel. And um, I know that you and Jenny have actually known each other for a long time. So I wanted to turn it over to Jenny to introduce you a little bit and then we'll jump into the conversation. Well, I met you 15 years ago in a mutual friend's living room and you were talking about doing mission work with Youth with a Mission in Australia. And I remember not knowing why I was there at the beginning of that conversation. And at the end of it, I was signing documents ready to go to Australia. And so it's just really cool that 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 was a really impactful part of my life. And, and you were the orchestrator of that. You know, I would have never known about YWAM had it not been for you. So it's just, it's really cool to see you this side of that and how you've, you've made your life over there. And it's just really awesome. Oh, that's so cool, Jenny. Thank you for sharing that story. That feels like a million years ago, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. 15 years goes by really fast, especially when you throw a few kids into the mix. I, I, I think, yeah. It and does. so 
tell us a little bit about your family and how and what you are doing over there in Australia. Sure. Thank you. Um, well, I grew up in Oregon, so I'm American. But actually, last year, I also became Australian. So that was super exciting. <laughs> I'm a dual citizen now. But I've got I met my husband in YWAM. So YWAM is Youth with a Mission for short. We call it YWAM. And I joined YWAM as a young 20-something year old in 2000, kind of thinking it was a short-term thing. And here I am in 2018, and I still work in YWAM. So I'm now married to an Australian. Uh, We have three little boys who are eight and under. And we live in Sydney, where we're pioneering actually a brand new YWAM startup in the inner city here. That's so wonderful. I am just really excited to have you here because I know that you have connections to and a heart for mothers all over the world. And I also would love for you to just take a moment to talk about your Love of Mama Collective and what you do with that, because I think many of the moms who listen to this podcast would be really glad to know about it. Oh, sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, I, you know, I started writing not long after my oldest son was born because I transitioned to life at home and I kind of felt like I just needed another Mm -hmm. outlet to output a little bit. So I started writing and I think it was the next Mother's Day I was pregnant with my Mm -hmm. second. My husband was overseas working in Papua New Guinea on our medical ship. And I was home and I was thinking, who's going to look after me at Mother's Day? Who's going to spoil me? And Mm -hmm. certainly my (laughs) one-year-old isn't. And Mm -hmm. my, you know, I was exhausted and really kind of having a pity party. And it was in the middle of that where I felt like God very gently, but firmly confronted me with my privilege, you know? And, um, yeah. And so I decided on that mother's day to sort of turn that conviction into something that would be useful energy Mm -hmm. to help my sister in need. So I started learning a little bit about motherhood mortality. And one of the things I learned was that, um, unclean childbirth is probably one of the most significant factors in maternal mortality. So, I had a little blog that, like I said, I just started writing and I put a story on my blog about clean birth kits. And my hope was that by the end of the year, I could raise about 300 clean Mm -hmm. birth kits. And by the end of the week, I had raised 2000. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. It was amazing. And so it kind of, in some ways, I, I like to tell the story that it sort of happened by accident. I didn't know what I was doing, but I put the need out there. And what I realized was that women love looking Mm -hmm. after women. They love Mm -hmm. to rally. And Mm -hmm. so it's sort of grown over the last, you know, eight years, seven years into something that we do every Mother's Day. We focus on a different project that can um, Mm -hmm. help women in the whole area of maternal health in the developing world. And so we've done stuff like gather clean birth kits. um, We've raised finances to send uh, a nurse, a a young woman, sorry, Mm -hmm. in rural India to midwifery school. So we've funded her scholarship Mm -hmm. for several years and different projects like that. So yeah, it's really sort of a grassroots effort of regular women like me going, how can we help one another? How can we use the resources that are already at our fingertips Mm -hmm. to give people opportunity to have clean and safe births? Well, I've just been so inspired by that initiative. And I love that it is so mom to mom. And thank you for doing that and also inviting other women to participate in that with you. I'm so 
glad to have a piece of yours on the Kindred Mom blog this month. And I just wanted to invite you to share an excerpt of it. And then we can jump into some questions about this topic of anger and big feelings that we deal with as moms. Sure. I'd love to share. Years ago, as a brand new mom to a little boy, I couldn't possibly love more. I had my first experience with the kind of anger that scared me. I can't remember the circumstances leading up to that moment or what exactly it was that ignited me, but I will never forget the fire I felt searing me from the inside and the violent, ugly thoughts that flashed through my mind. The darkness frightened me. No doubt there was a spectacular concoction of sleep deprivation and overwhelm that paved the way for me to lose it. This is, of course, on top of the upheaval that children naturally bring to a home once accustomed to regular sleep-ins and the luxury of a relatively easy weekly laundry rotation. There were also other factors undermining my explosive emotions. Financial pressures, a strained relationship with a friend, friction surrounding my role at work. But the fact that I visualized throwing my adorable toddler into the wall terrified me. And yep, I really did just admit that. I visualized shoving my toddler against the wall. Ugh. Who was this woman? Was this really me? The Christian mother committed to gentle discipline and intentional parenting? The wife who had never even yelled at my husband? In that moment, I suddenly realized how people could snap right into and do unthinkable things they regret for the rest of their lives. Never before had I possessed an ounce of sympathy for someone known to abuse a child, but in that moment... I was faced with the dark side of my own humanity, and this is what I saw. I was capable of anything. Yes, even toward the tiniest person whom I loved with the most giant of loves. I was that person, the abuser. Not in my actions or words, but at least in the temptation of my heart. To be clear, I wasn't afraid I would actually inflict physical harm to my son. As angry as I was, I knew I had the self-control to not act on what I felt. But what frightened me most was the content of my own heart. Simply having the idea jet through my mind at all was enough to leave me shaking and scared and ashamed. With trembling hands and a heart pounding my insides to a pulp, I called my husband and said, I am not okay. I described how angry I was and confessed the darkness I had seen exposed in my heart. I told him I didn't trust myself to be alone with our little one until I could figure out how to cool down. A few minutes later, he was home hugging me while I sobbed all of my inadequacies into the safety of his chest. He talked me off the ledge. He reminded me what kind of mother I am. And he affirmed my commitment to invite Jesus into the deepest places of fear and inadequacy in my soul. After all, the anger was only an indicator of the real things causing me pain. He also sent me to take a nap while he finished the last few hours of work from home with our son toddling around his feet happy for some new company. Thanks so much for sharing Mm -hmm. that. And I think this is such a powerful example of something that I know all of us have dealt with. And Adriel, do you mind talking to us a little bit more about that flash of anger that you experienced and how you went on to deal with that? Plus any of the coping strategies or ways out of a moment like that? I think that moment really surprised me. It was the first Mm -hmm. time I'd ever felt anger to that degree. And It just shocked me because this is my little boy whom I feel like I would give my entire life for. And yet Mm -hmm. in that moment, I was so raging mad. And it's hard to be rational when you're raging mad. I mean, they can do the slightest little thing and you want to storm off and throw your own temper tantrum. Yeah. (laughs) So I think what, what I knew to do in that moment was just to 
get him someplace safe and then remove myself so that I could at that moment call my husband is what I needed to do. I felt like even just confessing the way that I felt helped me to diffuse anger. And so I haven't had this type of instance reoccurring tons of times, but I've definitely experienced it more than once. Mm -hmm. And I really have found that each time, like there's usually something that's going on that has sort of led me to that point. And, um, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up was that for me, I could always, almost always identify that I was really, really sleep deprived in the lead up. (laughs) And I think like every parent knows what it is to be sleep deprived, Mm -hmm. moms and dads, you know, there is a special kind of torture that comes with night in and night out sleep deprivation that's compounded over a long period of time. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I don't think we can (laughs) underestimate the power that has to mess with your sort of capacity to cope with life in general, much less unpleasant things in life. So it's not like there's some magic fix Mm -hmm. as as far as um, sleep. But I think that for me, that is one of the huge things is when I feel like I'm walking around on the verge of snapping, if I take a step back, I can see that one of the biggest contributors is some sort of sleep deprivation. It definitely is a need that we can't overlook, which is One of the things I've been learning since we did the self-care series on Kinder Mom in January, sleep is not my particular um, challenge, but there are other things that I have just neglected of my own well-being that when that is neglected for long enough, that it really takes a toll on your ability to just be centered and to be patient and to be connected with what our kids need at a particular moment because we have a deficit that we're going into that situation with that makes it so difficult to navigate what is going on with the kids. I know that encountering the big emotions that come in motherhood, they can be so many different things from anger to mom guilt. I would love for you to talk a little bit about uh, some of the ideas that you have for moms who might encounter the same struggle, whether it's a different situation or something really similar. I know you have a few ideas to share about what somebody can do in a practical sense to get down from the ledge. Yeah, you know, honestly, I think the very most important thing that I want to say is that anger is normal. Mm -hmm. It's a normal human emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't make you a bad person um, for experiencing anger. And, you know, where anger is a problem is when we let it drive then Mm -hmm. our actions and our words to people and anger has consequences Mm -hmm. that we need to be aware of, obviously, but having or experiencing anger in and of itself, that's not a sin. It doesn't make you a bad person. Um, and so I think as a mom, we, we often have these really lofty ideas about what kind of mom we want to be. And when we don't yeah. measure up to that, it's really easy to get sucked into self-loathing or shame or inadequacy. And, you know, I mean, I've been a mom for a whopping eight years now, so it's not that long, but, but you know, it's long enough to yeah. go. I've got a little experience under my belt and I still deal with insecurities as a mom. Mm-hmm. It's really normal. And so your, your anger is normal. Right. And you had also Mm -hmm. said that your anger, that you've noticed that your anger is just an indicator or a symptom of real things that are causing your pain. And so what was it like for you to have that realization that big emotions aren't just things that like, that are just happening to us, but that they are symptoms of things that need to be addressed. And how has that changed the way that you respond when anger rises up in you? 
I think, and, and I don't want to sound too woo-woo here, but I think the way I would respond to that is to say, I've started to learn and I'm still learning to let anger be a teacher in my life. Mm -hmm. And when I experience anger to actually then start asking questions, what is my sort of subconscious? What are my emotions? What is my body even trying to tell me in this moment? It's not always a clear and obvious answer. Sometimes it does take a little soul searching and it's, it's not that you can necessarily do that in the moment, but when you experience anger for me, when I've experienced anger, I've gone, okay, what, how is this anger trying to get my attention and, and why? And so right. it's, it's turned me into a question asker. You know, the best sort of teacher is a question asker. So when I say I've let anger become my teacher, it's like I've let it start to cause me to question. And so I think that's when you can go, well, what is the anger sort of covering up? Am I feeling inadequate? Am I feeling fearful of something? Am I feeling sorrow over a situation or loss of control over a situation? You know, what, what are the things that are actually underneath the anger? And, and when you're like assessing that, do you, have you discovered what, what are some triggers for you that are no question triggers every time that trigger your anger? Because mine, mine is back talk. <laughs> anytime, anytime my kids are like talking back to me or kind of infringing on my level of control, that's what kind of sends me over. Cause I guess I just want to be a person that is in control of everything. And I realize that that's not practical. That definitely does trigger my anger. Yeah, that's a great example, Jenny. I think um, just listening to you and thinking what what one of mine might be, I think I'm really sensitive to time. Mm -hmm. If something is dragging on and on, or if I feel like it's reasonable to get something done in a period of time and like kids just aren't responding or, you know, I need yeah. to get the baby to sleep because I'm exhausted myself and then the baby isn't responding. Like those things sort of wrapped around time really want yeah. me up. And I know that that's part of my personality and part of my inner wiring. I'm a very time oriented person. And so, yeah, I think time would be one of those triggers for me. Yeah. I, I can totally understand that. And I often feel that when I haven't done a good job of kind of going ahead in my mind and making sure that I'm setting everyone up for success and saying, I'm giving you ample time to put your shoes on and not like screaming at you when it's time to run out the door. Like it's, it kind of falls back on me and the, and the work that I need to do to help them do the things that I need them to do. So I don't get mad at them. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> so. Totally. I mean, another one for me would be when I have let my life become over overrun with too much multitasking, mm -hmm. you know, and it things that like I've stuffed my life too full. I've left no margin. It, it does relate back to the whole issue of time as well, but it's sort of in those times where I'm, I'm way quicker to anger. And I realize that actually what I don't need is more time. What I need is more connection, you know? And I, yeah. I think I, I mentioned that in the post for kindred mom, like sometimes the best remedy to this stuff is to actually stop everything you're doing and get down on the floor mm -hmm. and spend a half an hour, just face to face, no distractions playing with your child. Yeah. For me, that's been something that's really helped to, to diffuse things with me when I'm able to, sort of look deeply into my child's eyes, look past the whatever behavior is 
pushing my buttons and go, mm-hmm. you're a person and there's no one closer to me than you and the rest of our family. And how can I see you in this moment? How can I see you today? And just reframing that whole relationship uh, from a place of connection has been really important to me. So play, the power of play is absolutely yeah, massive. Yeah, Really wise. And it's such a simple, but not always easy for us to jump into that because of the things that weigh on us and tug on us from our to-do list and those kind of things. But it is really wise. And I wanted to switch gears a little bit because you have been hard at work for this last year on a really amazing project that I'd love for you to be able to share with us about because I think it hits on some of the things that many women have been through and experiencing grief. And I'd love for you to just begin sharing a little bit of that part of your story as well as just how grief has impacted your life as a mom? Yeah, thanks, Emily. I am excited to share that I'm actually releasing my first book in May, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. And um, it's called Grace Like Scarlet, Grieving with Hope After Miscarriage and Loss. And it's really about my journey of understanding what it means to grieve with hope. And the reason I sort of start with framing it that way is that what, what I've learned the past several years is that you have to be able to fully enter into your grief and eyeball your grief and eyeball your huge emotions that come along with it. Mm -hmm. If you want to be able to grow through it, Um, Mm -hmm. it's actually a part of the healing process. And I, I think these topics are really, really well connected. So for me personally, we had our two sons, And then we had three miscarriages Mm -hmm. and then we had our youngest son after that. So in the book, I talk about, you know, from my own story, what it, what it's like to grieve and where God is in the midst of that. And we tackle some hard topics, but what I've even learned in my grief is that it shows its face in so many different emotions. Mm -hmm. So like when we lost our first baby, I experienced a lot of different emotions, but hands down the most prevalent one that I felt was just sorrow. I just felt Mm -hmm. so, so sad, you know, and then my second miscarriage was so different. And immediately the most intense feeling I felt and then all throughout my grieving process was anger. I just felt so angry. And then my, my third one, I reacted even differently that the biggest thing that I felt through that grieving process uh, wasn't sorrow or anger, although I, I did feel and experience both of those. But really that um, that third one, I felt quite numb. I just mm-hmm. felt like I don't, I don't even know how to do this again. Yeah. You know? And so three different experiences with grief, they showed themselves in three very different ways. But I think that's a really common experience for people. We can't sort of put a box around what grief or what our emotions should look like, no matter the crisis in our life, whether it is something like pregnancy loss or another type of loss, like a relationship loss or a job loss or a health loss. Um, But grief, yeah, grief comes and shows itself in so many different shades. I like that you've mentioned that grief is grief, no matter what you're grieving. And I think that a lot of times when you hear a story of someone's grief, that seems much larger and much more justified than your own. I imagine that there are moments when, when you're in the midst of your grief that you would just want to be swallowed whole by it or just to, just to succumb to it. If you experienced that, how did you rise out of letting grief be the only thing that you ever, (laughs) you know, your only thing? 
Yeah. I mean, I probably two things I would share on that. And, and, um, the first one is I had to learn to actually allow myself to experience grief. I kind of describe it like you have to let yourself sink to the bottom in order that at the bottom, you can see you're still alive. Yeah. You're still alive there. And to me, that's where healing starts to happen is you, you start to find your way back up to the surface. And, and then the second thing for me would be, um, I totally forgot my second point. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I would love to just ask you, Adriel, if there is anything you would want to share with women who are specifically going through a season of grief for whatever reason, um, what you might want them to know about their grief journey um, in order for them to be able to fully embrace and experience that to its fullness for the purpose of moving forward. Do you have any thoughts? I do. And actually that's what I, that was my second point um, (laughs) that I wanted to bring was I I've kind of learned to describe one of the metaphors. Okay. That's been helpful for me is to imagine grief, like a pill that has to be swallowed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now what I, I don't mean by that, that we swallow it and ignore Mm -hmm. it or make it go away. But like when you take medicine, like good medicine Mm -hmm. or good food, you swallow it so that it can become part of you. And then you can learn to live out of that place. Right. So with, mm. with grief, like you, you actually have to swallow it hard. Mm-hmm. You have to, yeah. you have to experience it. You have to embrace it, not run away from it, not try to just find the quick fix, but you actually let it become a part of you not in a way that it buries you or consumes you, but that you can sort of, let that assimilate into your life and then find your way forward. So for me, as I gave myself permission to really feel the grief and really experience and walk through the grief, what it did for me was it actually transformed me from the inside. Mm -hmm. It made me more empathetic. It made me more in touch with my emotions. It made me more dependent on God. Of course, it brings up issues of faith and of trust and, you know, theological things. Where is God in the midst of this? But if you let even those questions and doubts and that angst propel you into the heart of God, then he he meets you Mm -hmm. there. And I think that's what I would say to other moms is, you know, sometimes you feel like, you can muster up the strength to go and to pursue God and press in and, you know, find God in the midst of it and all this sort Mm -hmm. of stuff. But other times you just feel really weak Mm -hmm. and you feel unable. And I just describe it as like, you've got to give God your faint. Yes. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you don't even have to shout your yes to God. Mm -hmm. You just have to give him your faint. Yes. And he hears that and he draws Mm -hmm. near and he is so, so wants to be present to us in our pain. That's a promise that he gave us Mm -hmm. that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Mm -hmm. And, and so that would be what I would, what I would tell, especially someone who identifies, you know, as a Christian, Mm -hmm. I would say that no matter what you feel, no matter how strong or how weak you feel, how sure of your faith you feel, you give God your faintest yes, and he meets you right in that spot. I I am absolutely convinced that he can use the most tragic situation in our life into a catalyst for his grace to be released. And that is so powerful. Thank you for sharing. I feel like that resonates so deeply with me because 
I have an experience from my younger years that I was in that deep space of grief for probably six or seven years um, before I was married to my husband after my parents divorce and the years following Mm -hmm. after that were very messy. And I feel like I did exactly what you're describing where God just came near to my heart and I felt so weak and so unable to move forward, just focused on the fact that life would always be hard, that I would always feel broken, that I would never, I thought I would never be married. I thought I would never have children because I didn't want to subject myself to that kind of pain of my family Mm -hmm. being torn apart. And I just do so much resonate with what you said about that. So thank you so much for sharing it. I would love for people to know where they can find you online as well as can you tell us about your book and where we can find it and um, when it will be released? Yeah, well, I I already mentioned the title of it, um, Grace Like Scarlet. Mm -hmm. And it's available, you know, all major online retailers. So Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Target and all the, all the kind of normal places, which is really cool. It's available now for Mm pre-order. So if you, if you order it before release date, you get some free bonuses, which I think are pretty cool. Um, I've been working, (laughs) I've been working really hard on them and, Mm -hmm. um, and it releases May 1st. So, you know, one of the things that we really wanted to do was release the book in time for Mother's Day. So that's why it's coming out May 1st. Mm -hmm. And not just so that women who are grieving can get a hold of the book, but also so that their friends and family Mm -hmm. can think about, you know, maybe there's a woman in their life that is facing Mother's Day and she's got fresh grief and it's a sensitive time. It's, it's, you know, one of the most celebratory days of the year, but for a whole segment of women, for many reasons, not just miscarriage and pregnancy loss, but for a whole segment of the population, it's actually a really tough holiday. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're hoping as well that people will be able to buy it and give to a friend and it'll be a huge way to bless them and minister to them at a time that's that can be quite sensitive. Thank you so much for the hard work that you've put into this book and the message you have to bring hope to those who have been grieving through something like this and thanks for being a guest on our show it's been such a pleasure you guys thank you we're glad to have had you